for who we are as a people. And so what I want to do is I want you to just hear our heart for why we do what we do, how we do what we do, and ultimately who we are as a people of God, okay? So as your welcome for those of you who are here for the first time, it's important. Let me say this to you college students. We, we pray for you often. We, one of our core tenets is we are unapologetically in pursuit of college students. So we are better when you're here. We love it when you're here. We are sad when you're not here, okay? It is different. And so uh, just know that, that everything we do is about getting you plugged in, not on Sunday morning, but into the life of community. And so just hear me say that. You're going to hear me say it again next week and probably for the next four years, that our goal isn't to have a huge, large Sunday morning gathering, but for us to see disciples of Jesus when they're 40 and 50 years old, okay? And so that's our primary heart. And so, but we are better when you're here, that's for sure. So listen to this. This, is, this comes from Michael Foster, okay? He wrote this. He says, nothing grows a Christian like a serious commitment to a single church week in and week out for years and years. Not conferences, not social media, not podcasts, not even personal devotions. The local church is where mature Christians are slowly forged in the fires of mundane faithfulness. That's our prayer for you, okay? We want you to be part of a local church. Now, here's what that means, okay? And hear me be very honest and a little bit transparent. We're really glad that you're here, but we understand that this isn't the place for everyone, okay? There are other great churches in Dahlonega. Our heart is that you get plugged into a church that's going to preach the gospel and plug you into biblical community. And as far as all the things that we can promise as a church, those are the two things that we're going to commit to doing week after week. Every time you come in here, we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to preach Christ crucified, death to life. Yep, yeah, right, okay. If you're new here, we don't normally speak back to me, okay? So... Uh, we're trying to shift the culture, so if you can be a part of that. I said the same joke last year. It, it was not as well received. So um, anyway, so here's, what, here's why we exist, okay, in, in 30 seconds. We exist to preach Christ, okay? So the way that looks like here is this Sunday is a little bit different than our normal rhythm, but we preach verse by verse through a book of the Bible. And over the course of the next semester, that's the letter of Ephesians that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. We're going to go line by line. The, the good stuff, the easy stuff, and the hard stuff. If you've read Ephesians, there's not any easy stuff, okay? But we're going to go verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. So the first tenet of the branch is we're, we exist to preach Christ. Everything we do is to point to him, not to us, not to me, not to Andrew or Jared or Riley or Caroline or any of our elders. That's our staff team. I hope you got their names. Okay, you'll meet them over the next few weeks. The second thing is we, we, we exist to live in biblical community. That means beyond Sunday. And so for us, the rhythm is we meet in what we call family groups, which is our context of small groups. We meet in houses throughout, uh, I was going to say throughout Lumpkin County, but we got groups in White County and Hall County. We got them kind of all over the place. And the idea is that we, we want to encourage you to slow down and live life together, dive into God's word. So in a family group, you will study the passage that we're going to preach the following week, which is a little backwards. But we want, I don't want me to be your only chance to dive into scripture. If you're only dependent on me or whoever is preaching that week for your biblical knowledge, we're going to fail you and let you down. Okay, and so we want to encourage you to be studying, learn how to read God's word for yourself. And so in our family groups, we study the passage that we're going to preach the following week. We also eat. Okay. The third thing, the third thing of why we're here as a church is to love with compassion. We want to love and meet the lost, the least, and the lonely at UNG, at the job that you take, at the internship that you take, or in the neighborhood that you live in. That's why we are here. 
So the thing that we say more than we say almost anything else is we exist for those who aren't here yet. And what, here's what we mean. We don't mean we exist for those who aren't at the branch yet. We exist for those who aren't in the family of God yet. And so if something that we can do can point them to Jesus and they wind up going to a different church, guess who's going to be celebrating? We will. Okay? That's our heart. We're in, a, we're in no way trying to compete or do anything that says our kingdom over God's kingdom. We are here for the name and renown of Jesus Christ alone. Nice to meet you. We're the branch. Okay? Let's jump in. We're in Acts chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we have some nice new hardback Bibles at the end of each row. Uh, that's our gift to you if you don't have one. If you're working on your Bible collection, don't take that one. Okay? So Acts chapter 9, as you're flipping there, uh, I'll give you a couple of announcements. Next Sunday, okay, at 5.30, right here at the Park and Rec, we're kicking off our family groups with what we call family reunion. Once a quarter, we bring all of our family groups together just to share stories, to share a meal, to enjoy life together. So that's next Sunday. And uh, we would encourage, if you're not in a family group, this is a great first step to getting to meet some of our family group leaders, which we'll introduce over the course of the next couple of weeks too, to help ease you into life in community. Okay? So why are we in Acts? You just told us you're, we're studying Ephesians. So we are. And to, in order for us to really study Ephesians well, we want to understand the context of what's happening in the world. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, Andrew preached on the ascension of Christ. Okay, so Christ, he was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He did, this is all the stuff that you know if you've been in church. If you haven't been in church, here's the whole Christian narrative, okay? He died a horrible death, a death that we deserved as sinners. This is what the Bible says, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the penalty of that sin is death. So it was our death that he died, okay? But he didn't stay dead because he's victorious and he is the son of God. Perfectly human, perfectly God, okay? And so in his resurrection, which it was three days, it wasn't a full three days, but it was, you know, it was like Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday morning kind of thing, uh, he rose from the dead. Like the grave is empty. There's nothing there but like the shroud that goes over his face. There's no body, no blood, no skin fragments, no bone, no, nothing. It was empty. There was no death in that grave anymore. The only thing that died there was death itself. Okay, and then he roamed around for a while trying to re-encourage the disciples because the disciples were a lot like us. They like to forget that God gives us good news, that he rescues broken people, that he takes dead things and makes them living things. The disciples had already forgotten that. Jesus had been barely dead, okay? But he was dead dead, don't be fooled. And so he roams around for uh, about 40 days and then he ascends to the right hand of the Father, his proper place. He is King of King and Lord of Lords and that is where he belongs. And he rules and reigns from there forevermore. Okay? So what also happened at the ascension of Christ is the Holy Spirit comes down. Okay? This is from Acts chapter 1. And what happens when the Spirit comes down, we, as followers of Jesus, receive power. But it's not power to, like, do miracles and magic. It's power to be witnesses. Okay? To hold up the sign that says, Jesus is right over here. Keep following after me because I'm going to keep pursuing after him. Okay? So that's, what is, that's what's happened in the ascension, right? The Spirit now dwells within us. Last week, we had this, the, what, how the church got started. Okay? This is Acts chapter 2. What does the church exist for? Why do we have the church? It's on the back half of, or the back side of Peter's really profound sermon. And it is that sermon that catalyzes the church movement. We are here today because of Acts chapter 2. Okay? Yes, it is the same Peter uh, who denied Jesus three times. This is the same Peter who nearly drowned in the water because he was so zealous to jump out of the boat to walk after Jesus. And he looked up and got scared and went down. That Peter preached a sermon. That's why we're here today. 
Okay, so now what we're doing is in this, this story getting us ready for Ephesians, is now we need to understand is who is this Paul? Who is he? What's his story? And specifically, we're going to talk about his conversion, okay? The man from Tarsus. So before we read from uh, Acts chapter 9, what I want to do is I want to kind of start painting a picture of what's happening in the world, okay? So Christianity at this point is spreading rapidly. Thousands, literally thousands are being added to the number every day. Can you imagine? I mean, we just went from like, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. We don't really care how many people are like, we do because we love you all, but we don't count, okay? That probably tells you a little bit about our ethos too. Like, we're not successful because there's 300 people in the room, okay? Our goal is to point you to Jesus, but they were somewhat counting. Is also like thousands of people are pretty noticeable, okay? So same like with this. There's people sitting in the bleachers because they have to, not because they want to. We're sorry about that. I know it's super comfy back there. So Acts chapter 6, though, verse 7 says this. It says, the word of God continued to increase. So what's, what's increasing? It's, it's the word of God, okay? So why do we live in biblical community? Because the word of God matters, right? And so what's catalyzing this church being propelled around the world is the word of God. So the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, the church folk, became obedient to the faith. That's pretty amazing. When I was in seminary, there's a guy in my class who wound up coming to faith in seminary. Seminary is like a, it's graduate school for pastor types, okay? It's where you learn how to read in different languages that you will soon forget. Um, but he, he was baptized in seminary. That's like this. The priest came to faith. The people doing the work of God were so busy they didn't actually see the presence of God. Let that be a warning to us all. So then we see this new character, okay? Stephen, not me, although he does spell his name right as well. Stephen's full of grace and power. The only person who laughed was my mom. So that's cool, all right? It's a joke. You can call me Stephen. Uh, don't call me Steve. I won't answer. We good there? All right? So Stephen, though, he's full of grace. He's full of power, okay? He's doing, he's doing some ridiculous things, but he's caught the attention of the religious elite, he was now a threat, okay? And what was Stephen's task? He was, he was pulled into ministry because the, the, the apostles had gotten so busy doing the, the ministry of the word, preaching and teaching. And so Stephen's kind of like B-team guy who's coming in to serve the apostles in the work that they're doing. And in his service, he's, he now is catapulted into social notoriety, okay? He, his Instagram just went through the roof, Okay? So what do we know? We know that these people, these religious elite types, were furious. Specifically, it was one guy who was really upset. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, they condemn him. They charge him with blasphemy, and his punishment was to be stoned to death. And he was stoned to death. Acts chapter 7, verse 58 says, Then they cast him out of the city, which would have been a lonely experience. Okay? They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And for the very first time, we see this figure Saul. Okay? This is the first time we see his name. This is the first. Now, we felt his, his presence because the persecution of the church has happened. We just didn't know who was doing it, who was hitting the gas pedal. And it was this guy named Saul. Acts 8, verses 1 through 6. Three says this, Saul approved his, Stephen's, execution. Saul did that. 
So, hey, we got this guy. He's doing this work of the gospel. We, we, we don't think we like what he's doing. What should we do? Paul, Saul's response, kill him. Take him outside of the city and stone him to death. Now, if you know the biblical narrative, and we will talk about this in the future, Paul ultimately loses his life by how? Come on, his family here. He gets stoned how many times? A lot of times, okay? So the threats that he's putting on God's people, ultimately he falls victim to. The hunter becomes the hunted, okay? All right, so Acts 8, verse 1 to 3, and then I promise we'll get into Acts chapter 9, okay? This is, Saul approved his execution. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So the, now the, the church is, right? This is like, we start here in the city of Dahlonega, and then now all of a sudden, we're, it's, it's going up into the mountaintops, it's going into the valleys, it's down in there, about past the chicken plants, okay? It's everywhere. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 2, devout men buried Stephen. This is what families do. The people who appointed Stephen to do the work of God stayed behind to make sure he was taken care of. Devout men buried him and made great lamentation, which is just to cry out over him. Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church. It's a pretty harsh word, pretty dramatic pretty spot on. Paul, Saul, was ravaging the church. In entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That was what was happening in the early church. Now, I understand that we live in a world where we don't know what this actually means. I've been in parts of the world where they're doing some of this. There are parts of the world where it still very much looks like this. I was in a country... um, this was before we had kids, so like 2013-ish. And uh, I was being followed the whole time I was there. We were preaching and teaching in seminaries and churches like all over this little country, just south of Florida, if you know what I'm talking about. And the whole time we were there, from wheels down to wheels up, somebody from the government was following us. Now we never felt threatened, except for the shrimp that I ate, which could have been a long tactic to take me out. I don't know. But it was weird. Didn't feel good. It was uncomfortable. Like you make sure your door is locked at night. Like the the gospel is threatening to people in power because the gospel says the first will be what? Last, right? All have sinned and fallen short. All of of us? Well, what about me? Have you seen my job description? Have you seen how much money is in my bank account? Yes, all have fallen short of the glory of God. The gospel is a leveling of the playing field of humanity. All right, so who is this Saul of Tarsus? Philippians 3 says, this is Paul now writing, okay? He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Okay, so this is after his conversion. He's still got a little ego, okay? But he's got courage, because he's willing to stick his neck out and say, hey, listen, if you'll follow after me, you're going you're gonna to grow in your Christ-likeness. I promise you that. He keeps on in verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day, which is part of the law of the Hebrews, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Huh. As to the law, a Pharisee. 
verse 6, and this is the most important verse that we can have in understanding who Paul is, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's conversion was dramatic. And what I hope, the main idea today of us studying Paul's conversion is, so is yours. So is yours. You may not have killed a Christian. Maybe you have. We can talk later. I'm I'm guessing you haven't. Your story is no different than Saul of Tarsus, a hater of people, a killer of Christians. So one of the misconceptions that we have is that Saul's name is changed to Paul at conversion. That's not true. Saul was a Hebrew name, and Paul is a Roman name. And Saul Paul was born in a Roman province, Tarsus, okay? So, but raised as a Hebrew. So he has a name Saul and a name Paul. This is like, my name is Stephen. If I go to Mexico, you put an E on the front and change the PH to a B. It's Esteban, right? It's the same thing. Same name, just different cultures. Come on. Nothing? (laughs) You know, I played that out in my head. It's funny that you laugh at me not being funny, (laughs) which I think is probably a good thing here. But it was customary to have dual names in this time. So this wasn't like Simon becoming Peter. Who gave Simon the name Peter? Jesus did. And who changed Abram's name to Abraham or Sarai's name to Sarah? God did that. This is not that. Saul is Paul. Paul was a killer of Christians. And Saul is a follower of Jesus, okay? So don't think that the difference in the names. Now, Paul usually continues to write after his conversion as Paul because his ministry is mostly to the Gentiles who are outcasts. You can't be a follower of the way. The way is for Hebrews only, okay? All right, so let's, let's jump in. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which is the ways of Jesus, okay, men or women, okay, you know how severe this is culturally? Like women were usually never executed. They were never imprisoned. It was always the men, not here, not with Saul, okay? Saul was no respecter of persons, all right? He might Continuing, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, which is a town like, uh, probably takes you like six days walking, okay? So it's like a week's worth of walking north of Jerusalem. So close for us today, but kind of far for them, all right? He approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, verse 4, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So one of the things I want us to see here is God's first call on Saul's life is this really beautiful, intimate refrain of saying his name twice, okay? So if you've, if you've read your Bible, God's very consistent when he calls people, right? Abraham, Abraham, don't kill the boy. 
he is mine. Preserve his life. Okay? Moses, Moses, will you lead my people? Even David cries out, Absalom, Absalom, who Absalom was a terrorist, but he dies. He's David's son. And David's response, who is a man after God's own heart, was to cry out for his son. This is a cry from someone who deeply and intimately loves you. We see it with uh, Jacob. We see it with Samuel. We see it with Martha. We see it with Simon. We see it here with Saul. Saul, why are you, are you persecuting me? We see another called here in just a minute, Ananias, who was a disciple of Jesus. And his response is when he says, Ananias, this is the Lord speaking. And his response is what? I know we haven't read it yet, so I'm asking you to know your Bible. Here I am. Here I am. Another refrain that we see throughout Scripture. When God calls on someone, it's like, Lord, I know that's your voice. Here I am. And what they're saying is, whatever you're about to ask of me is going to be dangerous, and I'm probably not going to like it at first, but I'm willing to say yes. Have you been there? Yep. It's okay to have been there. That's part of following after Jesus. He calls us into hard places, into hard things to do the work of the gospel, which ultimately is the best thing. Okay? Our response, here I am, Lord. We also see Jesus doing this, don't we? Some of his last words before he died were, my God, my God. Saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? And you talk about a vulnerable moment for Jesus. This is probably the only vulnerable moment he ever had. And he was the most vulnerable to the point of death, a real death, an actual death. But for Paul, in persecuting those of the way, of Jesus's way, he was persecuting Christ himself. That's what Jesus is trying to tell him. He's like, hey, bro, you think that you're just hurting people, like you're just taking their lives away, but you're hurting me. And Paul knows the voice. His response to the question, who are you? He would have preferred any other response, right? Oh, I'm just some little G-God, Zeus over here, trying to do the work. But it wasn't. And Paul's terrified, and he's blind. In opposing God's people, he's opposing God himself. Here's what's beautiful, and here's what I want you to see, is that as horrible as Paul was, he was loved by God and used by God. So listen, I can sit with every single person in the room, all of you, and you'll come in and you'll be like, hey, listen, and maybe your story's like mine. I grew up in church. I really didn't do a bad thing until I was old, older, right? I didn't have my beer, first beer until I was 21, right? Whatever, if that makes you bad, I don't know, right? But I, I did, I followed all the rules, but I was broken and dead on the inside. Like I was coming to church every week and not following after Jesus, okay? Which means I was dead in my trespasses and sin. So no, maybe I wasn't hooked on drugs or doing, killing people in the streets, right? But my story is exactly the same. So maybe yours is like mine or maybe it's like Paul's. The beauty of the gospel is he takes all of us, people who think that they're not broken but actually are, and people who are broken and, and know that they are but they're too scared to walk into a place where they feel like they have to be perfect. This is not a place for perfect people. This is a place for broken people who are following after a perfect savior. So hear me say that. We good? Okay. Let's keep going. Acts 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Notice it's just a period, no exclamation mark, because he's kind of like, hold up. What's about, what are you about to ask me? Verse 11, the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, 
Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Guys, don't miss that. Following after Jesus isn't like this beautiful walk in the streets. It can be really hard. Jesus says, like, you want to follow after me, you have to what? Die to yourself. So all the things that you think make you good and right and holy and just are not. There's only one, and he has a name, and we get to call him Lord and King. This is what Ananias is wrestling with. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, hello? He calls him brother. I'm sure his hands were shaking as he puts him on his back, filled with fear, but confident that what God has asked him to do, he will be faithful in. He calls him brother. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul receives power. Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. I mean, guys, this is an amazing story. The guy who's killing Christians is now face-to-face with a risen, ascended Jesus. And immediately he falls blind, which has got to be extremely terrifying, okay? Like if you're, this is hard. You go from seeing to not seeing like that. All of a sudden you're like, hold on, Lord, what are you about to ask me to do? Because I can't see. And yet God's calling on his life is still the same. And then he understands what God is doing. He realizes that he has been brought from death to life. He gets his sight back, but the power isn't in him being able to see. The power is in the spirit coming into him. Could God have accomplished his purpose with Paul if he was still blind? Yes, absolutely. Worldly limitations can never prevent God's purpose in the world, ever. So whatever the thing in your life that you think, oh man, I don't know if God can use me because of this, baloney. That's a lie and it's straight from the devil, straight from his mouth to your ears. Don't listen to it. I'll help you with that. He rose and was baptized, taking food, and he was strengthened. And guys, in his strength, he begins to do the work. Verse 19 continues, it says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Verse 20 then says, Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Now, keep it in context. Paul has just gone to the high priest and said, Hey, listen, can I round up all the Christians, bound them, take them back to Jerusalem, and probably there I'm going to kill them. You remember that guy Stephen that we killed just a couple weeks ago? Like, I want to do that with more of them. And now he's going into the same place that he just asked permission to murder, and he's bringing good news and hope of the gospel. Immediately, he becomes the threat. What he was trying to prevent, he becomes. In Philippians 3, go ahead and flip there if you, if you can. 
because we're going to come back here at the end. Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes this letter. We're going to study Philippians in the spring, okay? So kind of our rhythm is we're taking these prison epistles, which are uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon, and we're going to study them kind of in order, okay? And we'll keep coming back to Acts to kind of figure out where we're going. But as you get there, that was just some stuff if you wanted to know where we're headed. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, whose sake? Come on. Whose sake? For Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, everything, and I count them as rubbish, which is a sweet word for saying trash. We should start saying rubbish more. We might be nicer. I may count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, be found and be found, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What is faith? Faith is a gift in the belief of the things unseen. Paul has seen Jesus face to face. His faith is that one day Christ is coming back to make all things new. Okay? Verse 10, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Thank God it was a death that only had to be died once. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The zeal in which... Paul had used to kill Christians is now the zeal that Paul is using to make Christians. He has taken the call of God very seriously. He's not concerned with where he is or where he's going. Must be nice, college students, isn't that right? I don't know what I'm going to major in yet. I don't know where I'm going to move in four years. Maybe it's going to be eight years, right? Some of you are on that long plan. It's okay. God can still use you. We said this last week, sometimes the going of the Great Commission means staying, okay? The verb there is to make, not to go. The verb that Ananias has, go, he stayed in his hometown. He just had to go into a really hard place, okay? So while you're here in Dahlonega, go and make disciples, baptizing them, teach them all that Christ has commanded. Would you do that? Like, that's what we want to help you do. That's what Paul cares about. Is let's make disciples. Now, some of you are going to get sent to the ends of the earth, and praise God for that, and I hope we get to share in that story. But some of you are going to be called to stay here. Like, how many of you in the room have already graduated from college, and I'm looking at you now, I can see you, and you're like, I'm going to move somewhere else. And here you are, you just bought a house in Dahlonega, and you had your sixth baby. <laughs> you know who you are. One of the things we do here week after week is we, we share the Lord's Supper. Because we believe that we have to constantly be reminded of what God has done for us. That he's made us, he's taken us from death to life. And so in taking the Lord's Supper, we take the bread representing Christ's body and we dip it into the cup representing his blood spilled out for us. And we enjoy that meal as a follower of Jesus with family. I mean, look around. Like we are brothers and sisters. If you are in Christ, you are brothers and sisters, whether you're a member of this church or not. And we share in this meal. But it's only a holy God that can bring life out of death. That's it. 
There's no zeal in a person that can do that. Only God can do that. It's only a holy God that's worthy of our affection and our worship. So when you go to the tables, which they're over here now, if you need directions, I'll be up here just going like this, communions this way. My mom was a flight attendant, so I'm pretty... Aisles here, exit. If you need to, if we go, go long, we're not long yet. I'm still up here, though. We, we get long, exits are here. But only a God, only a holy God, makes all things new. And that's our hope. And our prayer for you, if you're new here, is to join in that. Lean in. Like, we want to be the people who we extend way over the edge for the people who aren't here yet. Like, we're going to ask you to inconvenience yourself when you come here. Just know that. Like, next week, we're going to ask you to scoot up, scoot in. Because we, we can't put chairs on the gym floor. They have to stay on the tarp. Okay? But you come here, we're, we're going to push you to Jesus. We're going to teach you the Bible. We're going to love you with everything that we got, even when you don't want to be loved. We are going to be brothers and sisters, a family of missionary servants. Let's pray. And go take communion. Father, we're very thankful for this morning. In a very humble way, we're very thankful that the university is back in session. We're thankful that you've called us here to this place and this time to serve the purposes of your church in Dahlonega. And so we want to partner with students and young families and people who've retired and everyone in between for your purposes and your mission in the world. I pray that you would forgive us ahead of time for any time that we begin to make this thing about us. It's not about our kingdom. It's not about our church name. It's not about us. It is about you. And so would you stir our hearts? Would you stir our affections towards the worship of a holy, true, and just God? We certainly are grateful to have this place where we can meet freely without the threat of persecution, without the threat and fear of judgment from government or neighbor. So I pray now for those who aren't here yet that we would be a church, that we would be the local body of Christ to love them with compassion, to point them to biblical community and to preach the gospel. So we love you, we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' beautiful name, amen.